Uh, well, good morning, everybody. My name is Norton, and um, I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver, if we haven't had a chance to meet. And uh, I'm really excited uh, for today for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, uh, we're going to do something special a little bit later in the service. Um, we're going to celebrate someone who's part of our community. Uh, so we'll do that in a few minutes. I'm looking forward to that. And then um, to second, uh, second today, I want to introduce to you a topic um, and something we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. And it's a topic that is really, really important. Uh, have you ever met somebody who's older than you? Uh, let's say they're in their 60s or their 70s or their 80s. And uh, you look at them and you think, I want to be like them when I get to be that age. Um, and maybe it's somebody that it's a grandparent, maybe it's somebody you're close to, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family friend, but you look at them and you see this person and the older they get, the more kind they become or the more humble they become or the more wise they become or the more at peace with themselves and the world around them, they become. Do you know anybody like that? It's almost like their light gets brighter the older they get. They have this, this deep interior wholeness about them. And you can just see it and experience it. Uh, on the flip side, uh, have you ever met anybody who's older than you? And maybe they're, again, in their 60s or their 70s or their 80s. And you've thought, I do not want to be like that when I get to be their age. Because you see them, and the older they get, the more grumpy they become. Or the more anxious they become. Or the more judgmental they become. Or, or the more they dwell on what's wrong with everybody else and everything else in the world around them. Do you know anybody like that? Don't point to him right now. Uh, it's almost like their light gets darker the older they get. They're, they're not moving towards health and wholeness. It's, it's, it's almost like there's something inside of them, and instead it's, it's calcifying or it's hardening, and it's not just their bones, right? It's something else. Do you know anybody like that? So what's the difference in these two people? Well, and I'm not talking about personality differences because I don't think that's it, right? Uh, we all have unique personalities. We're all different kinds of people. I'm talking about something more universal, something more about the human uh, condition in general, something um, that's more interior inside all of us that happens inside all of us in our hearts and souls over the course of our entire lives and some of us slowly are moving towards more health and wholeness, and others of us are moving away from health and wholeness. And I've been thinking about this question a lot, right? What happens inside all of us that moves some of us in one direction and others of us in another direction? And so I thought about calling uh, this short series, um, Why We Are the Way We Are, <laughs> Because that's the question I want to answer. Why is it some people are becoming more healthy and whole emotionally, spiritually, deep down inside, and others are not? And by the way, I'm talking about Christians. Right? The difference in these two groups of people is not Jesus. 
Because there are some followers of Jesus and you look at their life and you can see them moving towards wholeness. And there's also a lot of followers of Jesus who are not moving in that direction. And so for a couple of years now, I've been thinking about this question as I've observed other people, as I've looked within myself, as I've been pursuing wholeness in my own life. Also, even as I've been reading the Bible, I've put this lens on. What does the Bible have to say about these two different paths in life, why some move towards wholeness and others don't? And I think I found the answer. It's actually an equation. And that's because I think in terms of equations. Um, By the way, I was an engineering major in college. I was a math minor. Uh, My engineering major was in theoretical uh, mechanics. So we were exploring questions like, what are the forces at work on an airplane wing um, that you can't see but that cause some airplanes to fly well and others to not fly well? What are the forces at work on a bridge or a a structure, uh, again, that you can't see but that Uh, keep up some bridges and structures and able to withstand uh, wind and rain and time and gravity and others eventually end in fracture and failure, right? And even though you can't see these forces at work, you can always explain them using equations. In fact, uh, this is a page from my senior thesis where I had to derive a really difficult set of equations, and I won't try to walk you through it because I couldn't understand it anymore either. But here's what's interesting. As I tackled these different problems and these different solutions, um, almost every single application of physics or mechanics in the natural world can be explained by one Equation. There is one equation that governs everything, and it is Newton's second law. All right? Anybody remember Newton's second law? All right. Does anyone want to remember Newton's second law? I won't explain it to you, but it basically can be boiled down to this. Force equals mass times acceleration, or F equals MA. This is at the heart of all movement in our known world. In fact, here's what well-known astrophysicist Ethan Siegel said about this one equation. He said, if you're only going to teach one physics equation to someone, make it this one. With enough effort, you can use it to decode the workings of almost the entire universe. I want to suggest today that there is another equation. One that governs who we are and who we are all Becoming One equation that can decode the entire workings of our journeys, either towards wholeness or away from it. And, and so the title for these two weeks is actually quite simple. It's this, the most important equation in your life. All right? So in my very humble opinion, and I could be totally wrong about this, I'm willing to admit that, I think whether you pay attention to this equation will do more than anything else to shape whether you are moving towards wholeness in your life or not. So today, I want to introduce to you two main components 
of this equation. And the next week we'll come back and I'll add two more components and we'll put it all together. Um, and my, my therapist, by the way, she would freak out if she knew that I was reducing the entire process of wholeness in someone's life to a mathematical equation. Um, but that's what happens when engineers become pastors. All right. So uh, let me share with you what I discovered. And I want to read a passage of scripture to you as well, um, because the two components I'm going to talk about today, they're actually found all throughout scripture. But there is uh, one story that I think encapsulates them really well. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 30. So let me tell you a little bit about Jeremiah. This is a famous painting from a 20th century uh, painter of him that depicts him well. Jeremiah is a prophet in ancient Israel. And he lives at a time in ancient Israel when Israel's culture and society are on the verge of fracture and collapse. They are falling apart. The most pressing thing is the Babylonians, a much larger and more powerful kingdom right outside of Israel that is on the verge of conquering Israel. So the immediate threat is external. But Jeremiah is a prophet. He sees things the way God sees them. And so his diagnosis is that it's not actually external. Something has been wrong internally for a long time. Something that has been unhealthy for a long time. Something they have been ignoring for a long time that will eventually lead to self-destruction. And so Jeremiah composes and delivers these different messages to Israel. And they're basically warnings or diagnoses about what's going wrong, and then all those messages are later collected and they're written down, and that's the book of Jeremiah that we have. So here's one of those messages. Jeremiah chapter 30, starting in verse 4. These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard. Terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale? Now, there are lots of things happening in Israel at this time. There are national things going on. There's international things going on. There's, there's political things happening, particularly between Israel and Babylon. But we're, we're not going to get into all of that today. And that's not really the point of what Jeremiah is saying right here, the point is this, the people are living in deep fear. They're not living in peace. And and that word peace there that he uses, it's actually a, a famous Hebrew word that you might have heard before. It's the word shalom. And shalom really means wholeness. I mean, it includes this idea of peace, but when we think of peace, we usually think of war and peace. People are either at war or they're at peace. And of course, uh, the Israelites are thinking about that, particularly with the Babylonians knocking down their door. But that's just one aspect of shalom. And in a sense, that's, that's really on the surface level of what this means. Shalom is something so much bigger and so much deeper. It is a deep interior peace and health and wholeness 
and, and integrity and, and well-being. It's something that you can experience on an individual level inside first, but that eventually leaks its way into all of your behaviors and your outlooks and, and your practices and, and eventually can be, be something that can be experienced on a communal and even a national level. But in order to experience that kind of wholeness, that kind of shalom, it requires dealing with our deepest fears, the thing that threatens shalom more than anything else. And here's the reality. We all have deep fears. We grow up with fears as kids. They're validated and then multiplied as teenagers and adults. Even the the strongest men and women, right? Even those of us who can put on the strongest outward appearance or faces, still deep down inside, we're hiding deep fears. We all have them. Now, they take on different forms depending on our personalities, depending on our our inclinations, depending on our, our, our life circumstances, the challenges we face, the environments that we grew up in. But we all have them. Some of us are deeply afraid of rejection. And so we do everything we can to gain the approval of everyone around us. Some of us are deeply afraid of failure. And so everything is a success to be won or accomplished or a failure to be avoided. Some of us are deeply afraid of intimacy. We don't know what others would think if they got that close and they really saw us for who we are. And so we just don't let anyone get that close. Some of us are afraid of simply not mattering in the world. Some of us are afraid of death. Some of us are afraid of of missing out on something better that's happening somewhere else. Some of us are afraid of not having enough. Some of us are just afraid of ourselves. If we ever looked inside, we wouldn't like what we see. But we all have deep fears. Fear is the human condition. There's a reason that our fear is described over 500 times in the Bible. Some of the the greatest leaders, some of the strongest men and women in the Bible, people like Moses and Elijah and Peter, still come face to face with the reality that they have deep fear. And so if you want to pursue and experience wholeness in your life, it's going to start right here. It's going to start with knowing and understanding your deepest fears. Now, look at what else Jeremiah says. Same passage, verse 12. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause. No remedy for your sore. No healing for you. So first, God is saying to the people, you have really deep fears. And now he's saying, you also have really deep wounds. Wounds so deep that they are incurable. How about that for a positive and affirming message in the Bible, right? Put that one on a calendar, on a little post-it note on your mirror, right? You have wounds that are incurable. Can you imagine going to a doctor with an injury and the doctor looking back at you and saying, sorry, nothing I can do. 
I don't have any medicine that can heal this. I don't have any way to fix this. There is nothing I can do to make this better. Now, that's not exactly the case here because we're going to read something else Jeremiah says in just a second. But his point is simple. You have wounds that are so deep, there's nothing you can do to heal yourself. There's nothing you can do to fix yourself. And that's really the second component today. We all have deep fears and we all have deep wounds. Uh, Sometimes our wounds are self-inflicted. That's what's going on with Israel during this season in their life and in this specific situation. But we also experience wounds from so many other things. We experience a lot of wounds from other people. We experience wounds from systems and structures and faceless institutions. We experience wounds from forces that we can't even see or understand. Some of our wounds are experienced quickly and immediately. Others are much slower and longer. Some of them are very public. Some of them are much more hidden. Some of the most hurtful wounds we experience are in our childhood or adolescence. They're particularly formative because then they often shape some of our deepest fears and then our fears shape those wounds and around and around it goes. But we have teenage wounds and we have adult wounds as well. Some of the most hurtful wounds are related to trauma or loss or violence or rejection, or abuse from authority. But you might be sitting here and thinking, well, I don't have any of those. I know some people that have those, and and, and those are horrible, but I don't have anything like that. But we all have deep wounds. If you've ever experienced divorce yourself or in your family anywhere, you probably have a deep wound. If you've ever been bullied or picked on, You have a deep wound. If you've ever had your reputation questioned, you have a deep wound. If you've ever been publicly humiliated or embarrassed or shamed, if if anyone more powerful than you has ever taken anything from you, you have a deep wound. If anyone that you trusted ever broke a promise, or turned their back on you, or betrayed you, you have a deep wound. Henri Nouwen said this a few years ago. He said, nobody escapes being wounded. We all are wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. So we have deep Fears, we have deep wounds, and that is just the human condition. And that's really depressing, right? Great message today, Norton, right? It's so uplifting and encouraging to hear how afraid and wounded we all are. But there is hope. There is hope because God says through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel this do not be afraid. 
Jacob, my servant. Jacob is another name for the people of Israel. Do not be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace, right? wholeness, shalom, and security, and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you. I will restore you to health and heal your Wounds, declares the Lord. See, God can save the people from their fears. He says, don't be afraid, right? And that's one of the most common refrains in the Bible. Do not fear, right? Do not be afraid. But he doesn't say that because they can do that in and of themselves. He says that because he is the one who's going to save them of their fear, right? He is the one who can also heal their wounds, He can make them whole again. He can restore them. But it's going to take a few things, right? First, it's going to take a long time. The process of healing and wholeness, it takes a long time. For Israel, it would take 70 years. It doesn't happen overnight. It's also going to take experiencing some of the the consequences of those fears and of those wounds. For Israel, their nation was destroyed and the people were taken into exile. And then, of course, more than anything else, if we want to experience healing and wholeness from God, it takes being honest about our fears and being honest about our wounds, and actually coming to God with those things. God is like the doctor. He does have the medicine. He can do the surgery. He can provide the healing. He can make us whole, but not if we don't come to him with those fears and wounds. Here's the deal. If we aren't willing to admit and face our deep fears, and our deep wounds, then we will be on the pathway away from health and wholeness. You see, you don't just stay stagnant. It's not like you can just stay in one place. You are either moving towards health and wholeness or you are moving away from it. Because when we ignore our fears and wounds when we neglect them, when we deny them, when we pretend they don't exist, or we bury them down deep inside. Those fears and those wounds, they calcify, and they harden, and they fracture, and they multiply, and they become entrenched, and they become eventually so entangled with who we are that we don't even see them anymore even as we project them and transmit them to all the other people around us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone like that, where everyone else can see the fears I have and the wounds I have because I'm projecting them on everyone else, but I can't see it myself. I'm guessing you don't want to be that way either, but it begins with us acknowledging our fears and wounds. Now, next week, we're going to come back and I'm going to add two more components and sort of fill in the equation. We're going to talk about what our fears and our wounds do to us and what we can do about them. But today, I want you to simply ask one simple question. 
What are my deep fears? What are my deep wounds? And this is as significant a question as you can ask yourself, right? This is not like go home, take a couple of minutes and sit down and like make a list of your fears and wounds. This is not a lunch topic conversation to have with everyone else. I mean, this is as deep and as important and as significant as it gets. This is the journey in life. This is the pathway towards wholeness to be on the rest of your life. But it has to begin with simply acknowledging, yeah, I do have some deep fears. And they're going to be unique to me and to my story and to my situation. And I'm not really sure what they are. I could probably circle around them, but it's going to take some time to really zero in on what my deepest fears are and begin to name them and articulate them. But I need to start figuring that out. And yes, I have some deep wounds as well. Some wounds that I have almost certainly ignored or almost certainly buried or almost certainly not dealt with. But I need to start figuring out what they are. Will you honestly begin to wrestle with those two things today? It's not going to be easy. It's going to take some time. It will be messy. But I can promise you this. It will put you on the pathway toward wholeness. Let me pray for us. God, I know that there's some of us in here today who are desperate to experience more healing and wholeness in our lives and have no idea how to do that or maybe have even given up on that process. And so God, please give us the courage and the hope and the grace and the mercy and your presence that we need. And for those of us who maybe aren't even sure what this looks like in our lives, help us to start. Help us to begin this journey and to trust you in the midst of it. We pray this in your name. Amen.